Hello and welcome, or should I say, once upon a time. Yes, this week on the Literary Salon podcast, we are talking about fairy tales. Welcome back. It's me, Damien Barr, bringing you another book of the week. Now, White Cat, Black Dog is a book by Kelly Link and it is a modern retelling of folk tales, transforming the familiar into the enchanting once more. And these are the stories, tales old as time. Did you hear me just breaking into song then? That was, I'm sure you'll agree, gorgeous. But these are fundamental stories, reworked for the now. Kelly is the best-selling author of Get In Trouble, which was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. She's known for her award-winning books in the world of, or the worlds of, magical realism. A la Neil Gaiman, you know, that bit of fantastical in the everyday, that moment of, is that what I think it is? Her latest collection has been described by The Guardian as intense, absorbing and weird as the best dreams and it features surreal illustrations by award-winning artist Sean Tan. Now, the stories are fairy tales reworked but not necessarily in the fairy tale genre. So we get a science fiction reimagining of Hansel and Gretel and the story of Snow White and Rose Red in which a grad student house sets a cabin in the woods and is visited by a host of peculiar characters. You're going to love these dark and curious fables and for today Kelly has prepared a reading about an aging billionaire who sends his three sons on a series of wild goose chases in order to decide who will become his heir. Sort of like succession. Maybe Rupert Murdoch. Let's have a listen. Hi, I'm Kelly Link. I'm delighted to be reading a small section of a story from my new collection, White Cat, Black Dog, for Damien Barr's Literary Salon. White Cat, Black Dog is a collection of seven stories which draw inspiration from classic fairy tales like Snow White and Rose Red and the Musicians of Bremen. Some of these stories more closely follow their original models, while others I kept the relationship more oblique or perhaps fractured. Readers will find in them magical transformations, helpful animals, death, love, and various apocalypses, personal or global, but I hope above all that you find them entertaining or maybe just a little unsettling. I'm going to be reading from the beginning of the first story in the collection, The White Cat's Divorce, which is a contemporary retelling of the French fairy tale, The White Cat. All stories about divorce must begin some other place, and so let us begin with a man so very rich he might reach out and have almost anything he desired, as well as many things that he did not. He had so many houses even his accountants could not keep track of them all. He had private planes and newspapers and politicians who saw to it that his wishes became laws. He had orchards, islands, baseball teams, and even a team of entomologists whose mandate was to find new species of beetles to be given variations on the rich man's name. For if it was true that God loved beetles, was it not true he loved the rich man even more? Was his good fortune not the proof of this? The rich man had all of this and more than I have time to write. Anything you have ever possessed, know that he had this too. And if he did not, he could have paid you whatever your price was in order to obtain it. All men desire to be rich. No man desires to grow old. 
To stave off old age, the rich man paid for personal trainers and knee replacements and cosmetic procedures that meant he always had a somewhat wide-eyed look, as if he were not a man in his 70s at all, but rather still an infant who found his life a cascade of marvelous and surprising events. The rich man had follicular unit transplantation and special creams to bleach age spots. For dinner, his personal chefs served him fish and berries and walnuts, as if he were a bear and not a rich man at all. Every morning, he swam two miles in a lake that was kept by an ingenious mechanism at a comfortable temperature for him throughout the year. In the afternoons, he had blood transfusions from adolescent donors, these transfusions being a condition of the scholarships to various universities that the rich man funded. In the evenings, he threw lavish parties surrounding himself with people who were young and beautiful. As he grew older, his wives grew younger, and in this way for a time, the rich man was able to persuade himself that he, too, was still young and might remain so forever. But although a man may acquire younger and ever more beautiful wives who will maintain the pretense that he, too, is still untouched by age, this rich man had, a long time ago, been married to a first wife, and this first wife had had three sons. The three sons, having been raised with every advantage by caregivers and tutors and therapists and life coaches paid to adhere to the best principles of child-rearing, were attractive, personable, and in every way the kind of children that their father could have regarded with satisfaction. And yet, the rich man did not regard them with satisfaction. Instead, when he looked at his three sons, the youngest of whom was now 19, he saw only the proof of his own mortality. It is difficult to remain young when one's children selfishly insist upon growing older. To make matters worse, his sons were all in residence at the house where the rich man was spending the winter. The eldest was in the middle of an acrimonious divorce, his first, and the second was hiding out from the media while the third had no good reason at all, except that he truly loved his father and wished for his approval. Also, he had flunked out of university. Everywhere the rich man turned, a son was underfoot. At night he began to be visited by a certain dream. In this dream, the rich man was troubled first by the notion that he had a fourth child, and in the dream no sooner had he had this notion than he became aware that this fourth child too was a guest in the house, and although in the morning the rich man found he could never remember what this child looked like, was it small or tall? Was it long and slender or so enormous it blotted out its surroundings? What was the sound of its voice? He knew that this last child was death. In the dream, the rich man offered his child death all he had in return for more life, but nothing the rich man had to offer was of interest to death. The only thing death desired was the company of its father. Sometimes the rich man had this dream three or four times in one night. By day, he began to detest the sight of his sons. At last, in perplexity, the rich man turned to consultants to assist him with the problem of his sons, and by the end of the week, a most elegant plan had been put in place. The rich man, in accordance, summoned his three sons to his side. 
Once he had embraced them lovingly, and they had discussed the news of the day and the foundations and boards of which his sons were nominally the heads, he said, My sons, although it is true I am in my prime, and although I know it pains you to contemplate, a day must come when I retire into private life and take up a hobby like growing orchids or hunting the most dangerous game or sending unmanned vessels into the sun to see what happens. And although it is farther off still, yet it is ever drawing nearer, a day in which an expert team will cryogenically freeze my body as well as the body of my current wife until such a time when medical advances can resurrect me into some unknown hellish future in a body that can satisfy more than three women at a time while also battling apocalyptic mutant lizards and conquering whatever remains of the New York Stock Exchange. His sons exchanged looks with each other, and the youngest said, Dear father, it seems impossible to us that you will ever be any less vital than you are at this moment. The rich man said, Nevertheless, a time must come when all things change. And when I think of the future, there are two things I desire above all else. One is to name my heir. My second desire is for a companion to be a comfort to me in the years of my decline. The eldest son said, pardon me, father, but are you telling us that you are to marry again? The rich man said, no, no, Alyssa and I are quite happy. What I wish for is simply a dog, the smallest, silkiest, most obedient and amiable dog a man has ever possessed. I have decided to task you, my sons, with this errand. You will have a year and a day to scour the earth for such a dog, and at the end of that span, whichever of you procures it, I shall leave you everything that I own. But father, the second son said, dogs make you sneeze, which is why we were never allowed to keep them as pets. The most amiable and hypoallergenic dog, the rich man said firmly. For the consultants had pointed out that if the rich man's sons were sent far from his presence, it might seem as if they had never been born at all. Once the rich man had ruled out filicide being possessed of a tender heart, the consultants had devised a quest, a kind of beta experiment to see if the rich man's quality of life was improved with no sons underfoot. The rich man's three sons agreed in the end to do as their father asked. The oldest said, Our father has accumulated so much money that even if he must name one of us his successor, the other two will never want for anything. The middle son said, Possibly our father is suffering from dementia, but at least his request, although bizarre, is harmless. And the youngest said, It isn't as if I have anything better to do. The sons bid each other goodbye, agreeing that whichever one brought home the most charming dog, the other two would be good sports about the whole thing. The two oldest sons had many adventures during the next year, but it is with the youngest son that we are concerned. Because he harbored romantic notions about America and the open road, he borrowed his father's cherry red roadster and set off with an old copy of Kerouac and a small duffel bag of dog treats. He had no particular destination in mind. In fact, without realizing it, he behaved as he habitually did when he played video games, which was to pleasurably explore a new environment 
and see what it had to offer him. He visited suburban strip mall pet stores, animal shelters, convention center dog shows, breeders of every stripe. And thus, in the first three weeks of his journey, he came across many delightful dogs, and often he drove away with a puppy even more adorable and lovable than any he had previously encountered. Eventually, because the roadster was too small to hold all of his dogs, he bought an old camper van and had a carpenter furbish it with cabinetry so that each dog would have its own berth. The roadster he pulled behind on a trailer hitch. In the camper, he slept at rest stops and campgrounds, and as he traveled, he posted updates to Facebook and then checked over and over again to see if his father had liked them. By the end of the first month, the rich man's youngest son was in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, where rumor had it there was a kennel owner who had successfully crossbred fennec foxes with teacup spaniels. He paid a small fortune for a silky red puppy with enormous paws and ears, the rest so negligible, he drove away with it, sleeping inside his coat pocket. As he passed through the town of Creed, it began to snow heavily, and the road became treacherous. He had never before been responsible for anyone else. Now his car was full of dogs, all of whom loved him, and most of whom needed house training. To his surprise, he was discovering that being loved could be just as productive of anxiety as the lack of it was. Now, if you want to find out what happens at the end of that tale, you're going to have to buy the book. What a hardship. In the meantime, I'll give you a hint. The ending involves a pot-dealing talking cat. How's that for a twist? White cat, black dog is wildly imaginative and familiar, yet unfamiliar all at the same time. So you're going to love it. It is written by Kelly Link. It is illustrated by Sean Tan. And it is published by Head of Zeus. The book is available now in all good bookshops and on our shop on bookshop.org. And if you shop from our shop, you support the work that we do. So thank you. A free copy of this book will be featured in an upcoming giveaway on our Instagram soon. So make sure you're following us there for a chance to win. Thank you for listening. And let me just get back to my fairy tales. Join us again soon.